Today we have one scripture passage broken up into two sections. The story comes from the fifth chapter of Exodus. Here now the first nine verses. Afterwards, Moses and Aaron went to Pharaoh and said, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, Let my people go, so that they may celebrate a festival to me in the wilderness. But Pharaoh said, Who is the Lord that I should heed him and let Israel go? I do not know the Lord, and I will not let Israel go. Then they said, The God of the Hebrews has revealed himself to us. Let us go a three days journey into the wilderness to sacrifice to the Lord our God, or he will fall upon us with pestilence or sword. But the king of Egypt said to them, Moses and Aaron, why are you taking the people away from their work? Get to your labors. Pharaoh continued, now they are more numerous than the people of the land, and yet you want them to stop working? That same day, Pharaoh commanded the taskmasters of the people, as well as their supervisors, you shall no longer give the people straw to make bricks, as before. Let them go and gather straw for themselves. But you shall require of them the same quantity of bricks as they have made previously. Do not diminish it for they are lazy. That is why they cry, let us go and offer sacrifice to our God. Let heavier work be laid on them. Then they will labor at it and pay no attention to deceptive words. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Our scripture passage stopped at the hour of need. So let us continue that story that we might see where God is present in the midst of this journey of liberation. Our story continues in Exodus chapter 5, beginning again in verse 10. So the taskmasters and the supervisors of the people went out and said to the people, Thus says Pharaoh, I will not give you straw. Go out and get straw yourselves, wherever you can find it. But your work will not be lessened in the least. So the people scattered throughout the land of Egypt to gather stubble for straw. The taskmasters were urgent, saying, Complete your work, the same daily assignment as you were given straw. And the supervisors of the Israelites, whom Pharaoh's taskmasters had set over them, were beaten and were asked, Why did you not finish the required quantity of bricks yesterday and today as you did before? Then the Israelite supervisors came to Pharaoh and cried, why do you treat your servants like this? No straw is given to your servants, yet they say to us, make bricks. Look how your servants are beaten. You are unjust to your own people. He said, you are lazy. Lazy. That is why you say, let us go and sacrifice to the Lord. Go now and work. For no straw shall be given you, but you shall still deliver the same number of bricks. The Israelite supervisors saw that they were in trouble when they were told, You shall not lessen your daily number of bricks. As they left Pharaoh, they came upon Moses and Aaron, who were waiting to meet them. 
they said to them, The Lord look upon you and judge. You have brought us into bad odor with Pharaoh and his officials and have put a sword in their hand to kill us. And Moses turned again to the Lord and said, O Lord, why have you mistreated this people? Why did you ever send me? Since I first came to Pharaoh to speak in your name, he has mistreated this people, and you have done nothing at all to deliver your people. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Our story today is a work in progress. The story as we usually hear it, of course, starts with the end in mind, that God comes to the people of Israel when they are in chains in Egypt, and God frees them. With a mighty hand and an outstretched arm, God takes the people out from the land of Egypt and delivers them safely into freedom. But of course, if you follow the story closely, you realize that there are, like any good story, ups and downs on the way to freedom. We know that the story of Exodus puts into focus the entire of the Bible. Both the Old Testament and the New Testament really gets its shape and its character from this story of the Exodus. And so here, in our first introduction of how Moses and Pharaoh are going to treat each other, we realize that the journey of liberation often involves things getting worse, much worse, before they get better. Today's story doesn't end on a happy note here. It actually ends with questioning Moses even wondering, why did I even come here in the first place? If first impressions matter so much, why does Moses start with things getting so rough for the people of Israel? This story, of course, from the big picture is one of breaking free, right? Free from Pharaoh, but also recognizing that with the, temp the, the call to break free, there's often the threat of just simply breaking down. Because journeying in a new direction, setting a new intention over life, Hearing that God might be calling me into something new brings resistance. But in that journey, we find to many degrees in that struggle that God is with us and we might discover what it is like to find God's presence in our midst even before the happy ending comes. Our story today is, at face value, a good reason why you should keep your head down in life, right? You know the saying, right, that the nail that sticks up gets pounded down the hardest. Maybe Moses should have thought of that when he and Aaron go to Pharaoh and say, let my people go. 
I don't know if he sounded as bold as Charlton Heston did in that old Ten Commandments movie, right? Because very quickly things turn south. But the intention is there, right? With Moses coming forward, we're getting, even at the beginning, a glimpse of what God has in store for his people. See, Pharaoh thinks he knows the Israelites really well. He knows why they're here. And in fact, as the verse reminds us, even in verse 5, Pharaoh knows that the people of Israel already are a threat. He says, now they are more numerous than the people of the land. And he's worried about that. He's worried that this underclass, this group of slaves, might realize how raw a deal they have and that they indeed have power because they already outnumber the people of Egypt. So he knows Israelite means threat. To deal with that threat, he limits the scope of what their life looks like to just simply work. Israelite means worker. All they are good for is to make bricks. And if they start to have any other ideas about what they can do with their life, they are lazy. And they must increase the workload to keep them focused on work. This is, of course, part of the mentality of slavery. Of how you keep a group of people subjugated and oppressed. It also, in many ways, is how many of the institutions we belong to also view us. Maybe not on a person-to-person -person level, but if you've ever been a part of a difficult conversation with HR, or if you've ever had one of those evaluations, or there's some major event that happens, maybe an incident that requires lawyers to get involved, or insurance companies, you might realize that your relationship with the institution was never really that based upon who you were as a person. It was always what you could do for the good of the institution. And that's what we face in our life today, whether that's part of our working world, how we navigate our systems of care and support that have been established in our society. I think about how we provide support for folks in the criminal justice system, how we might care for people in need or expect them to behave certain ways before they might receive assistance. Institutions in our world only see a part of who we are. We're never fully human. We're never viewed as the way God sees us. You must always remember that. And for Pharaoh, this manager of this great Egyptian institution of the state, the people of Israel are workers. So, when Moses approaches with a strange request. Let my people go so that they may celebrate a festival to God in the wilderness. It does not compute. 
It makes no sense to leave and celebrate. All that matters is work. But to be human, to be our full selves the way God wishes us to be, we must celebrate. We need festivals. We need to find time to play, even, so that we can fully be ourselves. That is particularly true for folks who are oppressed in our society. Joy, anger, the expressions of emotions often aren't socially acceptable for folks of color in the way they are for folks who are white. Folks who are LGBTQ may not be permitted to express the feelings they have for other folks like folks who are straight. We limit what celebration exists in our society as a way of providing and giving control to certain groups. Moses knows that God wishes for the people of Israel to celebrate. And knows that as a part of the liberating work of God, there is a need to celebrate. Reminds me of the Maya Angelou poem, I Know Why the Caged Bird Sings. Though its wings are clipped, that bird still sings of freedom. Doesn't just dream of freedom, but sings of it. There is a yearning for that celebration in each of us. And we hear from Moses that same desire that the God who liberates folks from oppression will give us freedom to celebrate as God intends. That vision of breaking free from Pharaoh is coming. But first, there's the breakdown. Because in his threat, Pharaoh feels like he must respond, and he raises the workload, and then simply calls the people of Israel lazy, bad workers for trying to do something else. It is an attempt to reassert the small humanity of the people under Pharaoh's thumb. And in that challenge comes the question, can we keep this up? The taskmasters overseeing the people of Israel come to Pharaoh and say, this is a raw deal. Nobody can keep up with this. And Pharaoh says, tough. And in the bitterness of this harsh meeting, they come back to Moses and Aaron and say, The Lord look upon you and judge. They question if God is truly in what Moses and Aaron are planning. And the truth is, Moses and Aaron aren't quite sure themselves. Moses asks, Oh Lord, why have you mistreated this people? I thought you were coming to make things better. Why are they getting worse? And why did you ever send me? Moses maybe had other ideas of how that first encounter was going to go. All that Moses has experienced is a big fat goose egg of good news for the people of Israel. 
And in this moment of self-doubt, in this moment of questioning, we wonder if God is truly there. We wonder why God let things get so bad. And at this point of the story, there is no easy answer. There is no easy explanation to know why there is a system with pharaohs in it that lead people to be hurt so badly. And why does God appear to wait? The story will continue. God will, in the next chapter, say, I'm now going to start my plans. And with a mighty hand, God will do signs and wonders to Pharaoh. And God gives Moses this message to the Israelites in Genesis chapter 6, verse 6. Hear these words. I am the Lord, and I will free you from the burdens of the Egyptians and deliver you from slavery to them. I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with mighty acts of judgment. I will take you as my people, and I will be your God. The Israelites don't hear these words. Scripture actually tells us that their suffering is too great to understand what God is saying at this moment. So for us, our word today is to recognize that there are moments in our lives where the words of comfort don't come. There are moments in our experience where we may hear the good news and we won't be able to respond to it. There will be times in our life when we think God is far from us and can't feel God's presence. But God is there. God is there in those low times even when our feelings might tell us otherwise. And we know that because we know that this story does continue. It does move on. Sometimes it just comes in the matter of time. Sometimes it is because God starts to do something new. But we do have to realize in those moments of darkness that the promises of God are truer than our present circumstances. I'll say that again. There are times in our lives where we have to remember that God's promises are truer than our present circumstances. Reminds me of a sermon that Martin Luther King preached in the summer of 1967. Why Jesus called a man a fool. And in that sermon, he tells a story about early on in his ministry, as the bus boycott is going on in Montgomery, Alabama, he returns home late one night after a committee meeting. It's always a committee meeting, isn't it? And he goes into bed and his phone rings around midnight. And a terrible voice sounds out with a death threat. Nasty words about him and his family. He's heard these words before. Usually he can brush them off, but at this time of night, in this experience, 
they stick to him. He can't sleep. So he gets up and thinks, well, maybe I can have a cup of coffee and see if that helps calm my nerves. And so in the dead of night, he goes to his kitchen table and has a cup of coffee. He bows down and prays over this cup of coffee in the dead of night in his kitchen table. And he says, Lord, I'm down here trying to do what's right. And I think I'm right. And I think the cause that we represent is right. But Lord, I must confess that I'm weak now. I'm faltering. I'm losing my courage. And I can't let the people see me like this because if they see me weak and losing my courage, they will begin to get weak. And it seemed at that moment, King says, that I could hear an inner voice saying to me, Martin Luther, stand up for righteousness. Stand up for justice. Stand up for truth. And lo, I will be with you even until the end of the world. In that sermon, King says, I discovered in that moment that religion had to become real to me and I had to know God for myself. In our moments of darkness, we have that invitation not to accept the easy answers. Not to simply have faith that things will get better, but instead to have faith in God and hope for the best on the way. Amen.